uh, we'll go ahead and move forward with our agenda. We're all the way to item 16. We're on the home stretch, ooh, ooh. folks. We've already done 19. We're, we're knocking it down. Great job, everybody. And 23 is adjourned. Hopefully that won't take too long of a discussion, Gabriel. <laughs> so we, we will now uh, uh, go ahead and introduce Michael Garrett, our ACB Enterprise Services Chair. And at this point in time, as we introduce Michael, I'd like somebody uh, to make a motion for us to move into session as an ACB Enterprise Services Board. Membership. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, membership. Correct. Okay, thank you, Ray and Connie seconds. All right. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Aye. All right. We are now meeting as the ACB Enterprise Services membership. And I will introduce our chairman of our board, uh, Michael Garrett. Michael. Thank you, Dan. Good afternoon, everybody. I'd like to call the 2022 ACB Enterprise and Services Corporate Meeting to order. And the first thing I want to do is thank the ACB board for authorizing, and you heard you heard Nancy talk about talk about him, but for authorizing the the hire of uh, a, an ACBES manager in, in the name of Chris Sawyer, and just want to I want to give you uh, a couple of comments, a couple of ideas of the impact that he's had on our stores since he's been been with us uh, recently. Um, Nancy and, and Chris just came back from our from uh, store visits in Amarillo and Lubbock. And our Amarillo store had some struggles, you know, during the first of the year for several months, and they got things taken care of. Uh, but after this visit, and, and I like to look at trends, but after this visit, there was a noticeable difference in the in the sales trends at our Amarillo store, and in a lot of the areas that that Chris and I talk about, all of those areas have improved, and so we're on an upward trajectory at that store. And I believe it was due to the fact that when he went in made the changes necessary, got the manager to buy into the process, and we're seeing the results. And and uh, in our, at our Lubbock store, I mean, that store, it's always been our, our, our bellwether store, but I believe it's doing even better based on some of the changes and recommendations that Chris has made. But I was I was at the at the beginning of August. I got an email saying that there's going to be construction in the street in front of our store. And you know, June and July had been very good months. We were moving higher and higher. And that was that at the beginning of August. That was just a downer for me. It's, it's, I said, "Oh man, we're we're doing well, but now this construction is going to impede traffic." But for some reason. Uh, you know, 
we had a few days where sales were down, but by the early mid middle of the month, all of a sudden sales started to pick up, and I mean the rest of the month gangbusters. And even even as we look at September and this month, we are doing well, uh, and I believe uh, that's credit to the hard work that Chris puts in, uh, guided by Nancy. So thanks to our staff for all that they've done for us. And so, uh, let's see, I need Nancy's help here. We, we need to elect uh, officers as we do every year, elect members to the board. Several of us are up for re-election. Uh, I am, and I'm not sure who the other two, we talked about this the other day, but I'm getting believe old. It is a, go ahead, Jesse. My memory is short. It's Michael Garrett, David Trott, and Kim Charlson. Correct. I, I thought that's who it was. And so, they're, they're all eligible to serve again. Um, so, uh, you know, I, at least uh, I tell you, we're kind of in a very sweet spot right now that the ACB Enterprise Services Board is, I think, really in sync and doing an excellent job. And one thing I'll say of, is having the opportunity to serve on this board for a few years, it takes a while to get to that point uh, where you actually understand the nuances of the thrift store business. So um, it, it, it's uh, Connie, would you like to make a motion? Okay, we'll get you, you got a mic. Okay, it's unusual for you not to have a mic since you're running them around everybody. Yeah, yeah. She took them oh, all so, back. So we need a motion. Go ahead, I'd like Connie. to make a motion um, that we reelect um, Michael Garrett, David Trott, and Kim Charleston um, to the board, to the Enterprise Board, um, to continue their duties. Thank you, Connie. Uh, Rachel uh, is seconding. All right. Do we have any discussion? Sure, Gabe. And I, I feel like I didn't do a very good job for the new board members of explaining even what the ACB Enterprise Services membership and board is. But please ask your question. No, very simple question. Just logistics. Um, are are um, Michael, David, and Kim in agreement to run again? Very good question. Yes. Gabriel. Yes. 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 Okay. We got we got three yeses. Okay. And, yes. And, uh, and we'll go ahead. Then any other discussion? This is Doug. Just out of curiosity, is Chris's salary paid through uh, ACBES or is it part of the ACB uh, general uh, operating expenses? So Chris's salary is paid through ACB because there's um, tasks that he does that are ACB related, but the individuals in the Minneapolis office, we allocate our time to between ACB and ACBES. And after I give you guys the final information on how we do through December, before we're audited, we do allocate um, the expenses to ACBES um, that oh, are incurred through can... ACBES. Sorry. Yeah, and then ultimately, ACBES is a wholly owned subsidiary of ACB, so it all rolls up at the end of the day to our 990. Is that right, Nancy? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Good question, Doug. 
All right. Any other questions or discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Thank you. And real quickly for all those that are on ACB media or are new to our ACB board, our guests, uh, the ACB ES is a wholly owned, which stands for Enterprise Services, is a wholly owned subsidiary, uh, subsidiary of the American Council of the Blind. And its members that make up ACB Enterprise Services are the board members of ACB. So that's the membership body. And then the board consists of um, five members, a, a minimum of four, but traditionally five members from our ACB board of directors and officers. And then the ACB board has the ability to go out and engage with two individuals that maybe are not serving on the ACB board or may not even be members of ACB, but have business expertise in the areas that ACB Enterprise Services is focusing in, which the primary area, of course, we focus in right now are thrift stores. But the charter of ACB Enterprise Services is not limited to thrift stores. It can be all kinds of sources of revenue through earned income. So that's where a little of the discussion happened yesterday with our strategic plan. Are there other opportunities where we could marshal our resources inside of ACB Enterprise Services to do other earned income projects? Right now, the ACB uh, board has selected one additional member who is an ACB member, used to be an ACB board of director, which is George Holloway. So he is also serving on the ACB ES board right now. All right, uh, back Dan, to you, Michael. Dan, I'll, I'll also point out, you know, our, our board has the capacity for seven members. And we, we have been uh, looking for someone with, you know, with retail or business acumen that will come in and give us uh, their lend us their expertise to to increase either our our reach or 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 explore other ways we can expand uh, ACBES. We've reached out to a couple of people. I, I uh, had Nancy contact the gentleman here in this area. Uh, to explore membership, and that that hasn't hasn't come to fruition. Uh, and uh, we've also, you know, looked at uh, other potential uh, members to join. So if if anyone knows uh, of any anybody who's uh, has significant either retail experience or business experience who's who's interested in serving on our board uh, let us know and uh, we can put them through the vetting process all right thank and you so, Mike. So, okay go ahead ray um i think i do we have anyone on our acb advisory board that we could uh perhaps consider we might reach out to to consider being a part of the ACBS board that has the necessary retail or business acumen. Well, we have uh, a couple of individuals that have uh, business backgrounds. Um, 
uh, you know, one uh, leads a, a consulting firm and the other, uh, you know, does a lot of uh, work inside Microsoft. Um, those would be a, uh, a couple of potential individuals. We're looking for more. Well, yeah, and and to be frank, uh, in our last advisory board meeting, we we talked about the need to recruit uh, more advisory board members um, in in specific areas of subject matter expertise, such as finance and marketing and communications. So, and this is Terry. This is and this is Doug. I'd like to also speak. All right. So, all right. First, we'll hear from Terry and then Doug. So, go ahead, Terry. I'm just wondering, Michael, if anybody's ever considered con reaching out to RSVA because for a number of reasons, they have some very successful retailers that have been involved with RSVA for a number of years. Um, we sometimes think of RSVA as coffee grind <laughs> people with coffee shops, but some of <coughs> Excuse me, some of their oh, oh, okay. members are far more into retail than that. Yeah, I think we're seeing good, that a lot a uh, now with their micro mark markets and all that. So but go ahead, uh, Michael. Yes. No, I was just going to say, that's a good thought. Uh, I really I, I, I really hadn't thought of, of uh, approaching RSVA. Uh, in in that manner, but yeah, I, I know a few a few of the vendors, successful vendors. I, I was going to yeah, take it in a slightly three to six hundred employees alone. Yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, go ahead, Doug. I was thinking of taking it in a slightly different direction. I don't know if NIB still has their uh, their management uh, program. Um, the one that Eric and, and Dan Kelly went through, um, and I guess Rebecca, Rebecca did too, uh, and maybe some others that I'm forgetting about. But um, it's it's kind of like an MBA program within NIB, and they so they get skilled in in that area. And I, my thought, uh, what prompted me to think that way was that if we're talking about branching out from thrift stores, is there any possibility of uh, ES uh, taking on a uh, phone bank, you know, a, a phone, uh, uh, what do they call, you know, a, a service of some call sort. Or contact yeah, center? A call center, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually talked about that at one time. Oh, Mike, I make a comment. Oh. Yeah. So, Doug, I don't, um, I don't know that that management training program is still active uh, within NIB. Um, I think some of that stuff has been transitioned. Also, over the years, and Michael can attest to it as well. I guess he and I probably have been around the longest on that board now. Um, we, we've looked at different opportunities, including franchise opportunities. Uh, we actually looked at the call centers and other blindness-related things where uh, we might could even employ some of our own. But uh, unfortunately, we at that time when we were looking, we didn't have the uh, – we, we were struggling to decide which 
thrift store to close next. So, you know, I'm sure we can take a fresh look now, but, but the, the timing just wasn't right, but we have looked. Thank you. And one I, of the, I, I was, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. I was just going to say one of the biggest areas that, that uh, I've hoped that we could, could get our feet wet in is the uh, online, some form of online services. Uh, we kind of dabbled with that. We, we looked at some potential opportunities, but nothing has nothing has come, you know, come to the front here. But that's still there are people who do online stores. There are people who do all types of online businesses, and that's still one of the things that, uh, you know, presents itself as a possibility. But it takes it takes a little manpower, and I'm not sure what the upfront capital investment would be, but something that could be doable by someone who who is blind or visually impaired. And just to remind everybody, we approved the uh, the uh, one year uh, annual plan yesterday, and part of that discussion was about earned income where we considered three options. One was uh, to uh, thrift store expansion. Uh, I think in that analysis, uh, Nancy and Chris hope to get done and Michael by May 31st of this year. And then another was monetizing uh, perhaps the services that we provide in the ADP area related to uh, listings of uh, content and many and other things in that area. And then the third was perhaps, and again, I think this is where we could use ACBES's expertise as well. How do we work with organizations uh, to kind of maybe provide some employment opportunity and yet a revenue source for ACB to uh, leverage our membership's expertise and perhaps providing focus groups for of some of our uh, industry partners. So I think, again, those are all areas that as we progress here through the year, we should uh, involve our ACBS board in those discussions. But back to you, Michael. Well, Dan, unless there are any, uh, some other questions, I, I believe it's all on the agenda. Yeah. Unless other uh, ACBS board members have, have uh, something to put in. I've got one other thing. Can I get a mic? Oh, go ahead, David. We, we, uh, you know, I talk about our staff, but also our volunteers. Um, Michael Garrett has been the best chair we've ever had. Uh, we, we only meet usually quarterly, I think, but Michael is on board with what's going on. If there's something drop in or whatever, he he's looking at daily sales you know, and he's keeping us up to date if we need to know anything. So, uh, you know, we really need to let Michael know that ACB certainly appreciates the work he does with ACBES. All right. Thank, thank you all very much. Thank you, Michael. I'd like to go. Thank you. Ray has moved. Do I have a second? Second. A uh, second by, uh, I'm giving, going to give it to David, Connie. Okay, second to David. All right. All those in favor of moving out of our ACBES board and back into our general ACB board of directors meeting, signify by saying aye. 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 aye.
Opposed? All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it needs to be, I guess, reported out uh, or in the minutes of our ACBES uh, secretary. And I believe that's you, David, uh, that we reelected um, Michael Garrett, David Trott, and Kim Charlson for another two-year term on the ACBES board of directors. So thank you. Dan, just to, uh, yes, who, are the, who, are the, who are the other three members of the board, please? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, they'll be they'll be elected next year or maybe not elected next year. They'll be uh, their terms will be up next year. Uh, it's Jeff Tom, who's our uh, vice chair and myself. And then uh, George Holiday will be up for election when we next meet as an ACBES board uh, to extend his term. And we have one open position. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Are we now, we're now moving on to item 17, which is our demographic and diversity reports. Uh, we passed a resolution in 2021, I believe it was to add, uh, uh, maybe it was 2020, I don't know, time flies, uh, but to add two new fields to, I think it was, Eric thinks it was 2020, to add two new fields, uh, uh, voluntary fields to our membership database for collection. They were gender identification and race and ethnicity. And we've now uh, been through first a short cycle and then a full cycle of uh, membership um, enrollment. And at this point in time, I'd like Nancy to take us through the, the demographic information for those two fields. And then I'll also report on what our diversity uh, looks like related to our committee chairs, co-chairs and vice chairs, our ACB board of directors, board of publications and ACB enterprise services board and our staff. So uh, go ahead, Nancy. Okay, so for the first category that I have is gender. And let me see here, give me a minute. So we have approximately 7,800 members in ACB. And when I look at gender, gender, there is approximately 3,800 people who have completed the information in this category. What so percentage is that? Nancy? That's about 48.6%. Okay. So the people that are female is, I'm just going to go with the percentages, is 61.3%. Those that identify as a female is 0.6%. Those that are males is 36.5%. Is Those that identify as a male is 0.4%. Those that identify as being non-binary is 0.3, other is 0.03, and those that preferred not to answer are approximately 0.8. Okay. And I'm sorry, I had abbreviations on here, so I need to go to my donor database so I can get the full wording. And while Nancy's getting that, I, I think we've all thought anecdotally that the 
the majority of our membership is uh, is female, but I think it was very interesting to see that uh, that it's basically breaking down at about 61, 62% to 37, 38%. So about, about three to two. Yeah. Okay, so the next category is race ethnicity. There is approximately, there's 2,551 that answered this question. So that's about 32.7% of our membership. So the percentage that are Asian is 2.4%. The, um, the next one is Black or African-American, 73 Hispanic or Latino, 5.7. Middle Eastern or North African, 0.2. Multiracial or multi-ethnic. I'm going to round that up to one. Native American or Alaska Native, 0.6. Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, 0.5. Other is 1.1, I prefer not to answer, is 5.7. South Asian is 0.4. White or Anglo-Caucasian is 75.3. Wow. So what, what I find ironic on this is when we were helping people register for convention, if they had not did not have a member's account or they could not remember what their password is when we helped reset it. If they did not complete these categories, we just asked them. And there were a lot of people that were just willing to give us the information. So a lot of times if you just ask, people will give it to you. But it is interesting that uh, 16 more percent of our membership has been willing to answer the gender identification question than the race ethnicity question. Yeah, so there's some work to do there to make people uh, feel comfortable with sharing in that area. Any discussion on or comments, questions for Nancy and I on on that information? Yeah, this is Jeff. Yeah, go ahead, um, Jeff. Yeah, I one thing I think we may want to do, and this doesn't apply in many affiliates, but especially in your larger affiliates where there are local chapters, Oftentimes it's the local president who is providing the data and sending it in to, you know, the main state office. And so perhaps we ought to um, get information out to local chapter presidents through whatever means we have at our disposal to do that, or at least encouraging the state presidents um, to ensure, make sure that they urge their local president to allow collection of this data. I mean, yes, people should not have to state if they do not want to, but I suspect that in many chapters, they're not collecting it at all just because they don't bother to worry about it. And so we may want to see if, if by a little bit more, um, you know, solicitation of the information, we can get a little higher return next year. We um, we will we will send a letter out to the AMMS records users um, and and let them know that we specifically are looking for this information. So 
you're what you're what I'm hearing from you is also sending it to the president presidents. Is that correct? Well, yeah. And when you send the letter to the AMMS users, you should tell them to do what they can to if they if there are local chapters that provide them with information that they urge, you know, the, the local chapter presidents to, you know, send along that information and try to collect the information. I mean, that's just, you know, my, my one one thought I had to try and do better. And if better. we're going to do that, it needs to be done probably within the next week because end of years when I know uh, as treasurer of our local chapter, I start I started collecting dues last month because they have to go into our state affiliates. So if you're wanting it from the local chapters, it needs to go down pretty quick. Yeah, I know in Florida, we have to have our chapter membership into the state by November 30th. Wow. It's already happening. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Dan, this is Doug. At at one point, uh, Cindy was talking about developing, trying to develop a chapter president list or, you know, sort of a a hump day happy hour for, for chapter presidents. I was wondering if anything uh, further has has come of that. Um, I, I know she was trying to get all on a volunteer basis, but she was trying to see if, you know, there was could that kind of the next level down for to help bring uh, information to the chapters. I don't know if Cindy's still on, uh, but we can take that question back to her because I know uh, she was working on it at some point at a point in time. Um, and more recently has been working a little on, um, I'll say, a few areas of the country where we could possibly put together some some regional affiliates where we're struggling to get a state-by-state affiliate, but maybe pulling a cluster together could allow us enough uh, membership capital to maybe put a, put a regional affiliate together. But, so that's another area where she's focusing on. Right. Uh, the other thing I just want to know is, uh, I mean, Cheryl Cummings, our Multicultural Affairs Committee Chair, and Gabriel Lopez Cafati, our uh, Hispanic Subcommittee Chair, uh, have been encouraging us quite a bit to get these numbers out here because you you've got to establish a baseline. And I think uh, the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and I'll let Gabe speak to this, but I think that's another area where we can work uh, to promote our members to to fill out these fills. So Gabe, I'll give it to you. I am here, uh, Dan, if you wanted me to respond. You want, go tell her after you, Gabe. Yeah. Okay. So um, some of the ways in which we encourage uh, people to get that information is, um, of course, first uh, lean on the, you know, on Nancy and the national office (laughs) and um and get support um also uh you know community calls and uh special programs where you make uh people feel welcome and safe to disclose that information and also uh making sure that um you're you know whether you're a special interest whether you're a state or local chapter to make sure that um, people know that, because uh, some people may 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 be a little bit um, weary about giving out this information or wondering why we're asking for this information. So maybe uh, uh, engaging in some training sessions and some open forums where people can actually understand why is it that we're asking for this information and why is it important, not only for us as an organization, but for them to be represented within the organization 
and to um, kind of adopt a little bit more of an active role in terms of driving the direction of the organization, whether it be in events during conventions or community calls. And um, just just to make sure that they understand that this is not something that we're trying to be nosy. Uh, there's always that uh, checkbox where you say where you can say I prefer not to identify, but um, but it's important for for you to check something so that we have those numbers and so that we can reach out to you when we need uh, to incorporate certain aspects because, like we always say in the blind community. Uh, nothing about us without us same thing applies whether you are uh you know transgender or where you are uh asian or uh, alaskan native etc uh nothing about you without you so um just uh keep keep that alive keep that sentiment alive and keep explaining and uh and disseminating that information as of why we need or we want this information Thank you, Gabe. And now, Cindy, uh, thank yes, you. Sir. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm, I am listening. I was just not in the room. Uh, anyway, uh, the the challenge really was, and, and it has not happened, Doug, good question. It's been on my mind, actually. I just don't know where. The problem is that a very small portion of our affiliates responded with information about their chapters. We have over 300 chapters in ACB and I received information for about 40 of them, so just a little over 10%. And by the time that I, <clears throat> excuse me, was trying to reach out for more, I'm finding that, I was finding that the chapters information that I had received that many of those had also changed. So haven't quite figured out yet. And, and now it's just the time to be honest. Um, but that that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are. It's really hard to pull that information. Um, and it would be great if there was, you know, a way to break it up and get it like into the database, maybe an AMS or something where affiliates could input. Um, that information. So that that's something I can go revisit and see if, you know what I mean, there's a way to do that. Because trying to get it and bug people to send it is is probably not the, it is not the most effective way. So. All right. Thank you, Cindy. Thank uh, you. I'll now go on. Uh, I want to uh, also, as part of this, I wanted to share our demographics for our ACB leadership. Uh, so we've talked about that, our committee chairs, co-chairs and vice chairs, as well as our board of directors, board of publications, uh, ACB ES board, and then our staff. So um, first from our uh, committee chairs, uh, co-chairs and vice chairs. And I, I really tried to concentrate on just our full committees and not ad hoc committees. So we got committees that pop up and uh, all over the place these days. So, but our, for our, our basically our permanent committees, uh, looking at chairs, co-chairs and vice chairs, we have 40, 40 people participating in those roles. Of those 40 people, uh, first uh, from a gender standpoint, 26 are 
uh, female and 14 are male. So from a percentage wise, that's 65% women and 35% men in our committee chair position, uh, leadership positions. From an race ethnicity, it was 35 white Caucasian, four African, uh, black African-American and one Hispanic Latino. So that breaks down to 87.5% white, 10% black and 2.5% Hispanic Latin Latino. So again, some of the work that we're doing with our MAPS-P program for mentoring and, uh, and other initiatives that we're putting in place, but it gives you an idea that if you look at our membership, it's kind of skewed uh, a little bit in who's members of our organization. And we're seeing that also in our committee chairs. Um, when we go to our board of directors, uh, board of directors, not counting uh, Penny, because she counts over in the board of uh, publications, but for our officers and board members, that's 16. We have uh, nine male and seven female. So that is 53% male and 47% female, at least since I've been involved on the ACB board of directors. I don't think, and Paul may have even longer history than me. I don't know that we've almost ever had a parity between men and women. So that is very interesting. Uh, from a race ethnicity standpoint, we have 14 uh, white Caucasian, one black African-American, one Hispanic Latino. So again, that's 86% white, 7% black African-American, 7% Hispanic Latino. So that's our board. Now, if we go to our board of publications, our board of publication has 100% five women and zero men, 100% women, no men, uh, race and ethnicity, uh, we have three white Caucasian, two black African-American, 60% uh, white and 40% black. And that's our board of publications. If we go to our ACB Enterprise Services Board, we currently have six members. We have five men and one woman. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> so that is <laughs> that is 83% uh, male and 17% female. Uh, if we look at race and ethnicity, we have four white Caucasian. We have two black African-American. So it's 66 or rounding up 67% white Caucasian and 33% uh, um, black African-American. When we go to our uh, staff, we have 14 full-time employees. Um, four are men and 10 are women. So, <laughs> so that is that is seventy two percent women and twenty eight percent men. So that's our ratio, gender ratio for our staff. When we look at race and ethnicity, 
we have 12 white Caucasian. We have one identifying as Hispanic and we have one identifying as Southern Asian. And so that is uh, 80, 86 percent white Caucasian, 7 percent Hispanic Latino and 7 percent Southern Asian. So that's our staff breakout. Well, we did a little. Yes, it's it's in my memory, but it was done with a lot of calculations earlier. <laughs> but so that is the breakout of our leadership. So I think, you know, it's very good to have these measures and to put them in place. And we will uh, we will see how it all plays out. I mean, it it's not just as we said over and over again, it's being intentional about moving forward about developing programs to develop leaders across uh, diversity. And so I will say at this point in time, ACB is in the hands of the women. So you guys. As the lady says, girls rule. Girl, girls rule. And I think uh, we're seeing that. And, and, and I'll tell you, if you look at our affiliate presidents, I would say at least what 60, 65%, and maybe 70% of our, our affiliate presidents are women. Yeah. yeah. So where are all the young men? <laughs> A long time. So, so, so I, I assume that blindness is an equal opportunity, uh, you know, um, uh, situation there. So it is interesting to see uh, the difference in our demographics. So uh, Cheryl, if you're listening, and Ray, thank you for pushing us to get this information out, and we will continue to publish it twice a year. So thank you very much. Go ahead, uh, Terry. We'll get the mic for Terry. Hold on, Mike. We'll get you a touch. Yeah. This is a quick question, probably to Nancy more than anyone, and that is, is there any way for us to do a breakdown on look on uh, geographically on those numbers? Sure. You know, like by like by state, I think, um, you know, like it could. Yeah, I, I doubt that there are too many Alaskans living in South Carolina, but South Carolina, I'm just picking names off the air. South Carolina could have a very good ratio you know it could be any two states i'm wondering yeah. if there is a way to break that down thanks do you think break it down or reach out to them well writing it down might be a way to reach out okay so this is something totally different but after the convention when we found out we did not have a lot of email addresses on people we reached out to the state or special interest affiliate who had those members that did not have email addresses we didn't have a whole lot of luck getting updates. So we can if you want to, but they usually just send us back exactly what we've sent them. All right. Uh, do I have a motion to approve our uh, demographic and diversity report? Moved. All right, Ray moved and Terry seconded. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right.
18 is uh, we want to talk about the upcoming, uh, be here before we know it, uh, DC Leadership Conference. Uh, and so you saw in the strategic plan yesterday, uh, we want to kind of evaluate and analyze a couple of different options with the DC Leadership Conference. Uh, we have done the DEC Leadership Conference virtually the last two years, so it's all been done on Zoom. Uh, if you remember last year, we had four uh, afternoon sessions from uh, basically 12.30 to 5 or 1 to 5 uh, that included uh, two days for the president, uh, two half days for the president's meeting and two half days for the legislative seminar. And then, of course, all our affiliates reached out and contacted their representatives uh, virtually, uh, I assume primarily through the Zoom platform. Uh, we had it, and, and we, and that was kind of what we did for the DC Leadership Conference. And it was very good, it was very well attended. I think uh, what Nancy, we had over 300 people that registered and participated uh, through our DC Leadership Conference. So. We've noticed that with the virtual platform, we've probably more than doubled our participation uh, in the leadership conference. And I think we've heard from our affiliates that they have significantly increased the number of people that have been able to get involved with the visits uh, with uh, their representatives and senators offices or their legislative aides. It seems like um, you know, they, a lot of affiliates have really taken that under their wing and done a lot to, uh, uh, to really grow the participation uh, in office visits. So, uh, Gabriel, was that, was that Trent? That, that, was, that was Trent. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. We're, we're blaming it on Trent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so we, we actually brought this to, and I'll have maybe Gabe and Jeff speak to this a little bit, but at uh, last month's uh, special interest affiliate circle meeting, we actually took about a half hour uh, to talk to the, at least the special interest affiliate presidents about uh, the DC leadership conference, what they felt about it being virtual, if they wanted to go back in person, we do have an existing contract in place with the, what is the Hilton? Yes. The Hilton, right on King Street in Alexandria, an old town for, um, I believe, the days of the 11th through the 15th, I believe it is. Um, so uh, we're a little worried that we have a contract in place. But when we talk to the um, special interest affiliate representatives, and pretty much all of them were represented, I think, right, Gabe, on the call. Yeah. Um, it, it was interesting to hear that they kind of liked the virtual um, component that has been in place for the last two years. They felt like they, uh, you know, um, had an opportunity to participate. It didn't cost a lot of money. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of challenged us a little bit that it's, it's fairly repetitive what we have done traditionally at the president's meeting and the legislative seminar, where we have a unique opportunity this year is that we have passed the resolution that was recommended by the advocacy steering committee and approved by our membership to hold an in-person rally in Washington, DC associated with the DC leadership conference. I've had my date corrected for Monday, 
March 13th. So we'd have, we're, we're wondering if we would have a little hard time getting everybody to come in just for a rally if we did the DC leadership conference virtually. So one option is to take the current president's meeting, legislative seminar, probably squish those back into two days, maybe two and a half days at the DC leadership conference, make them hybrid, similar to what we've done for the convention and have the, you know, the president board meeting take place on Friday, the president's legislative seminar on Saturday and Sunday, maybe even the legislative sim a little Monday morning, and then go and have our rally on Monday afternoon at the White House in the Treasury Building, if that's the approach we decide to take. So that's one option. Um, I'll, I'll say that the, at least the special interest affiliate presidents were only lukewarm on that option. The second option that we kind of proposed was, could we kind of maybe break into two different events and have continue to have our president's meeting and legislative seminar remotely and do that perhaps a week earlier, weekend earlier, uh, prior to the in-person DC leadership conference, have those discussions there, allow most of our affiliates, if they wish, to continue to do their representative meetings, their walk on Capitol Hill virtually through their Zoom platform and their expanded affiliate outreach, and then take the next weekend when the rally would take place and turn that into a little bit of a different opportunity for our leaders to get together inside of ACB. So at least an initial proposal, we could get together and come in on Friday evening. Uh, we, would have, uh, we would have kind of reception to welcome everybody in. Uh, the crazy Dan Spoon even thinks we could do a, bub, a pub crawl after that, but that's just me. <laughs> and then Saturday and Sunday, we would really focus on some truly interactive leadership building facilitated workshops in the morning on Saturday, have a keynote speaker at lunch, maybe somebody exciting like the James Webb uh, telescope folks with tactile exhibits and all that. And then really take an opportunity to explore all the really good work we've done in TC with perhaps an afternoon uh, tour to a couple of locations, uh, and then an opportunity maybe even for an evening event, like at an audio described play, concert, something like that. Then come back Sunday, have more legislative, I'm not le leadership, kind of breakout sessions in the morning, another luncheon speaker, uh, an opportunity for some more touring on Sunday, and then a what we're calling a dine around networking dinner, where people would sign up in tables of eight to many of the restaurants in the Alexandria uh, area. And you wouldn't sign up necessarily with the people you know, but people would sign up kind of quote unquote blindly for a particular <laughs> dining experience and meet seven other people in ACB that maybe they haven't met before and go out for dinner and talk and network. And then we would come back on Monday and do the rally 
uh, all of us uh, walking, uh, not taking buses, but then rallying at the White House and the Treasury Building. So really taking the leadership conference and make it more about networking, about it meeting, meeting each other, about learning leadership activities. And it would be a separate event in person only. So that portion would be in person only, but we would all have an opportunity due to the traditional president's meeting legislative <coughs> seminar the week before virtually. So that's the two proposals that the leadership team has brought forth uh, for your consideration today. Uh, again, there could be others. Uh, this is a very creative group, so I, I wouldn't limit it to just the two, but those are the two proposals that have been brought forth for your consideration. We need to, we do have the requirement of meeting a contract, which in today's world, we're not gonna get out of that contract. Um, and so uh, right now, it, what is required for 270 rooms, is that right? I think over a, over a four to five day period. Um, so room nights, you 50, mean? 50 room nights, room, right, yeah. I didn't say that right. Room nights, yeah, what did I say? Room days, yeah, room nights, room nights. <laughs> Uh, with there is there are, we've negotiated very good contracts in that it is up to a fifty percent attrition rate with no penalty, so that gives us some flexibility. So this would be a paradigm shift. It would be trying to do something a little different than we've done traditionally, but um, I, at least we I'll let Gabe and Jeff talk a little bit. But we heard from a, a, from our special interest affiliates that they felt like things were getting a little stale. So. I'll first give it to Gabe and Jeff, and then we'll open it up for others because they participated in the uh, special interest affiliate circle. So, Gabe. Thanks, Dan. Uh, I think one of the first things that um, our membership wants to know is, and probably this is something that we would need to wait to hear from Clark and Swatha, is if um, the uh, representatives are, the offices are open, or are, are they projected to be open and uh, allowing for in-person visits? So, <laughs> so that's I know that's that's a consideration. Um, uh, the uh, membership does recognize that there has been more participation uh, with the virtual visits. Um, we would assume that that's something that's here to stay with with the with the offices of the representatives uh, i think they also like the approach so that would dictate which uh way to go because if uh we're gonna have the um if we're gonna have basically the the uh, legislative portion virtually we would have to come up with a solid solid program for the following weekend in person to make sure that we attract uh, enough number of people. And not only that, but remember that we would be asking folks to uh, basically devote two weekends for this. Not everyone has to participate in everything, but that is that is one of the considerations. And, um, and basically um, there's even a, a, a you know, third option, like Dan says, we're creative, uh, where people have asked, why is it that we cannot uh, do, uh, you know, mix things up, um, basically leaning more towards the second option that Dan described, but kind of fitting in the legislative visits 
closer to that uh, weekend so that we don't have one weekend, one thing and another weekend, another thing, um, especially given that legislate, I mean, um, Capitol Hill visits, whether virtual or in person, cannot be done uh, during a weekend. They have to be done during a weekday. Yeah, and I, I'll answer one yeah. part of that. Um, we we had talked about there. There is nothing, of course, uh, with the model that if people want to do their visits virtually, they can't. If they want to do them, if we're at that point where people feel comfortable do the, doing them in person, there is still definitely an opportunity on that Tuesday after the rally on Monday, if people want to stay over, that they could go visit with their representatives in person. So that that is a possibility. Or again, it could be a hybrid approach. You might want to do a lot of your representative visits on Zoom, uh, maybe the week before, and then maybe still there's a few targeted representatives you'd like to go talk to in person. You could do that on Tuesday if you wished. Yeah. Dan, this is Kim. Okay. Uh, well, Kim, let me let, uh, let me let uh, Jeff. Okay. Well, go ahead. Jeff is acquiescing. So go ahead, oh, Kim. Thank please. you. All right. So I think um, in the discussion you had and in Gabe's points, you know, there, we, we realize that, um, there's some certainly some pluses to um, some of our legislative visits in in the experiences we've been hearing back from our leaders that um, they they really liked doing the Zoom meetings. They feel more engaged. Their the attention of the staffers is higher because they're not like worrying about the 75 people out in the lobby still waiting to come in and talk. But I wanted to. I don't even know if Clark's on the call, but. We, we did have uh, a conversation that I think would be relevant for the board to hear about the experience now on Capitol Hill, not just the virtual appointments with legislative aides, but the things have changed, um, literally physically getting in and out of buildings and moving since January 6th, yeah, um, things have changed. So I wonder if if Clark is here or Eric could speak to it about what is now sort of the the normal on Capitol Hill after January sixth. The new it's, protocol. And Clark is Clark is here. Thank you, Clark. All right, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Kim. Uh, and and Kim's right. I, I think a lot of the a lot of the the changes right now or that are still in place now are more. Uh, due to security than to than due to COVID. Um, I, you know, I, I appreciated Dan's summation that many affiliates, uh, you know, they'll be able to embrace our core values and uh, be flexible to provide the most opportunities for their members to engage with their representatives and senators, whether that's in person or virtually. You know, fortunately, we have that option. Um, but typically now, and I, just this week, Swatha and I had uh, an invitation. Would you? Are you scheduling this meet, meeting to be in person or virtual? Because the the protocols are different. Uh, it's a lot easier to to schedule a remote meeting when you are scheduling an in person meeting. Um, there's more that you have to do. You have to meet staff from the office at the security checkpoint. The staff has to escort you to the office. The staff then has to escort you from that office, either uh, to your next meeting or to exit security of the building. 
Um, so it's, it's not as, uh, in, at least at this point, individuals cannot as freely roam the halls themselves as they could previously. Um, that said, you, you can still schedule in-person meetings. Um, there's just a little bit more that goes into it. And certainly uh, and the willingness, I'll say, of staff or members to engage in in-person meetings, uh, that varies on a, an office-by-office, case-by-case basis. Thanks, Clark. Can I, I say something, or oh, is Jeff? Uh, well, I, uh, let, let's let Jeff speak, and then we'll go back to you, Gabe. Okay, okay. so go ahead, Jeff. So I, I would, as, <clears throat> as a preliminary comment, I, I was a little dismayed, but certainly understood the lack of enthusiasm for um, the planning that had already gotten underway. And, and even as you pointed out, Dan, for the rally, I think it was viewed as, you know, perhaps we could do it in a couple of years or, you know, uh, and I think part of what's driving it um, in addition to some of the other things that you mentioned, is frankly cost. Uh, airfares are, as we know, skyrocketing. And um, I, I do think, though, that given the new protocol um, that exists and how many more people we have been able to include through Zoom anyway, plus the fact that the second option is at least interesting and, and might, you know, attract some people that might not otherwise come, um, that it might, that I think it would probably have the best chance of succeeding. Do I think it would necessarily bring large numbers? Uh, no. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that we're going to have a, a, a problem probably not me probably be okay with the you know 135 room nice i suspect but um i i i, I am concerned that with the cost of airfare and everything else that we're not going to have the attendance we'd like however i think it is a very intriguing option and that it might be the beginning of something that's more akin to a real leadership um conference uh, and maybe something we will want to try for the future. So I think it might be worth trying it once and, and seeing where it leads and whether we think it can be successful in the future, because I don't think we're, I, I have a strong feeling we're not going to go back to the pre COVID um, legislative seminar format. Yeah, I agree with what Jeff just said, and also I wanted to add that uh, one of um, one of the uh, big apprehensions from members is that uh, th they feel very, very uh, anxious to either, even when virtually, meeting with legislative aides, and um, the if we could factor in or if we could come up with a different way in which we could do the the actual uh imperative training first and then allow people to go back and schedule their visits i think that would would make people feel more more at ease 
and would uh, continue increase increased participation. So I don't know if there's a way in which we could actually move things around. And like I said, since uh, whether virtual or in person, well, it, it seems like 99% uh, after what Clark just said, uh, that, that we're, we're definitely staying virtual with uh, legislative visits. So uh, basically uh, moving things around, if we want to do something and rebrand the leadership weekend and make something interesting like what Dan was describing, but incorporating some sort of training that uh, people can actually either we can either podcast or record and take back to our local chapters since legislative visits happen um, on a on a geographic basis and um, and give people who are going to be participating in legislative Zoom meetings that that reassurance that they will have the training before engaging in these meetings. Oh, All right. thank you. All right. Uh, thank you, Gabe. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Clark. All right. Our, I know other yes. board members would probably like to discuss this. Ray. Yeah. Um, Doug, Doug would like well, to I'm, then Doug after okay. Ray. Okay. Well, um, when I first heard these two options thrown, I, I, my first reaction is absolutely not. We got to go back to what we did before. But I think um, having listened to the discussion and I think you should have, we should have some discussion with the state presidents on this because we need to, we're the ones that are often trying to recruit people from our states to attend. Um, they all have some really, both options really have some attractive, um, uh, pieces to them. And, um, uh, so I'm going to go a little pro and con here. I'm kind of leaning, if I was going to pick one, I'm kind of leaning towards the second option for a couple of reasons. One, it, it would give us a chance to have the legislative imperative training, and then with that information in hand, go to scheduling our meetings. And, you know, I think we'd be, we could come across in a, in a better informed way of what it is that uh, you know we want to we want to talk to the to the folks about um, and and I like the idea of that one of the things you could do is when you're in DC for the training that you could use that time to meet with a few key people one of the things I've always hated about the old in person way of doing things is that the the pressure I've felt with a small group of having to hit as many offices as possible where, um, you know, say I want, so just as sake of argument, we wanted to meet with a Senator Duckworth and make sure that we got a meeting with staff in her office, but then, and then maybe there's some other key Illinois people that we want to meet with, but then uh, do the rest of it um, on zoom. Uh, so that's, so it's really attractive. The other thing, the other pro, I think is that you know we've talked over and over about some real effective leadership training in some other areas and this would give us a chance to really uh, flush that out a little bit and really put some good training like DEIA and other things <clears throat> the con of the second option uh you're asking people who work to give up to take a lot of a lot of days off now the, the 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 solution to that is maybe affiliates don't have the same people go to both 
and that you know you can do it that way and that's another pro i think it gives some uh, other leaders or potential leaders an opportunity to to uh attend i think i think one of the things i would like to see looked at if we go with that option is perhaps seeing if we could find a way and i know we've got issues budget-wise and everything or you know, find a, a source to perhaps subsidize a little bit of the cost because I think Jeff Tom's right. There is a high cost with the the airfares. I, my salary loves it, but I know other people don't. So that's just my thoughts. Um, I'm personally kind of leaning towards the second option, but uh, be interested to hear what others have to say. Thank you, Ray. Uh, I think Doug and then Rachel asked to be in the queue. Next. I want to be in next. And, and Terry has her hand raised. So I want to. Okay, and Connie. Okay. All right, uh, Doug, I think was next. Yeah, go so, ahead, Doug. This is a, a, an intriguing conversation. Um, I think this year we're kind of tied to DC, uh, partly because of the contract and partly because of the rally. Um, but I can foresee uh, next, you know, in 2024, uh, meeting mid-country um so that we can you know so that uh, you know and people there are, there's always more people coming to mid country conventions than uh than uh than you know either coast and i think we could do a leadership conference uh in st louis or someplace like that Come to springfield um wherever st louis is uh, you know wherever and 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 uh meet in in the middle of the country um for the leadership conference part of it and perhaps do the um, the legislative seminar as you know remotely. So we do Zoom, you know, for the imperatives and stuff like that. I mean, we could even have Maryland people or Virginia people or both uh, do one or two sample um, sample uh, uh, meetings, you know, over Zoom that could be either recorded or could be um, you know you know could be broadcast to to Zoom at large. Um, you know, so that all ACB affiliates could be, you know, could listen in and, um, you know, we'd obviously we'd have to have the permission of the, of the, uh, you know, whatever, you know, so there's some logistics about that, but actually have people in the offices doing, or, or not in the offices necessarily, but doing, doing a, a, a an appointment while others looked on. And that, I think that would be a, a marvelous way to train people on, you know, what, you know, what could be expected. So, uh, so combining a, a, an in-person leadership conference with a, a, a legislative seminar that's remote and uh, and uh, uh, precursors, a, a, you know, the the uh, remote hill visits um, might be the way to go uh, in succeeding years. All right, thank you, Doug. I think Rachel was next, yep, then Terry, next. then Connie. So go ahead. Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited about this. I like this second option. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to say stuff has already been said. And, you know, there's certainly some logistical things that have to be looked at. But, you know, we're talking about different ways to reach more people and serve more people and, you know, um, kind of half baked. But, you know, it might be an option, certainly to bring more people into the fold bring maybe the uh, mentors and the um, people that, you know, maybe specifically if they can work it out to invite the people who are on this year long um, project, you know, and see if they can make it and 
you know, there's a lot of potential here, I think, to this could turn into something. And like Doug said, not necessarily Washington. We're not tied to a specific area. If we pull the other components out of it, which seem to be working fairly well virtually anyway. So I'm kind of excited about this. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Terry, you're next. I I kind of go along with Rachel on this. I think that the doing the legislative seminar should definitely be done but virtually. I think there's so many seriously potentially great speakers and that, that we could have any, even if we had to do one or two of them pre-recorded, um, that we could create real excitement within the organization. I'm thinking there's, you know, if we could get um, Senator Duckworth, for instance, to do something on legislative, uh, during the legislative seminar, it looks a lot better for us to have 300 people on a Zoom call uh, webinar than it does to have 25. Uh, that's one issue. I think that we could do, and we could do something really cool with that. One of the things that occurs to me is that Senator Markey is going, is not running for re-election, as I understand it. And he has done so much for this organization and for audio description and such through the years. We could do some kind of an almost a, a Zoom reception type thing perhaps that weekend. Uh, for him, we could have a number of different um, heads of uh, various agencies, that type of thing. We have a tremendous amount of potential of what we could do with legislative seminar when we do it by Zoom. Um, as far as your leadership idea, I, I like it. It sounds like a lot of fun. I think that um, it's, I'm just thinking it through quickly. I'm seeing dollar signs in my head. And I think the very, un the, what's the very unfortunate part of that is like you said, we'd do it strictly in person. It wouldn't be a Zoom thing. And it's our it's our smaller affiliates, our um, more struggling affiliates that need that leadership. You're looking at somebody to come to Washington and spend three nights in hotels and go out to dinner and a play and do all kinds of things. You're looking at $1,500 probably um, per person. So a lot of our affiliates can't afford that to send one, much less two or three people that way. That was why President's Weekend and Legislative Seminar originally got, uh, uh, I'm saying moist, wrong word, melded <laughs> um, together was because the affiliates did not and could not afford to be sending people to our, to Legislative Seminar and three weeks after uh, the leadership, the uh, president's meeting. And that's why it all became one thing in Washington to begin with was cost. It might cost uh, the organization now, if we've already gotten a contract, um, it may cost the organization, but which is more fair to cost the organization, which I'm hoping isn't too terribly much, um, or to cut to to lose that potential leadership and the cost to our members first of all the cost to our members to get there and secondly the cost to those affiliates all right terry thank you 
Uh, Connie, I think you were next. I'm next. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to follow up on a lot of things. I mean, I think this is all exciting. I agree with some of the things that Ray said. I think that the state affiliate presidents need um, to have a conversation with us. I think that's a huge thing um, because it, like he said, it's we we try to get our members there as affiliate state. Um, I agree with Terry that it's financially for the bigger affiliates or some of the affiliates, um, you know, they help their members get to conventions or the DC in, you know, president stuff. The the smaller affiliates like South Dakota, and I'm sure like, you know, a lot of the other ones, we don't have the funds. So, you know, it's members don't go because it's way too expensive um, to travel that far. So they have to choose one or the other, if it's going to be convention or leadership. Um, not that they don't want to go. Sometimes they do, but they don't. But it's it's the cost wise um, to go. And then my I like the leadership. I like the, the second thing um, by doing things. But and I like the going out to dinner, but I'm thinking of the sassy members. or I'm just thinking like my husband, who's not um the noise the dinner is like the restaurants are so noisy and even just like walking in the restaurants here but going out and networking i think is an awesome idea but the sassy members especially would have it's such a hard thing to communicate in like a restaurant i mean we honestly don't go out to eat that much because it's so hard to hear to visit um so that's a concern or anyone that has any type of hearing impairment. So um, that I, I think is great, but it's it's something that we really would logistically have to look into and think about. So that's my concern. All right. Thank you, Connie. Are there other board members that haven't spoke that would like to weigh Ken. in? Yes, go ahead, Kenneth. Yes, my hand was raised, but I thought I'd better go ahead and speak. Oh, I apologize. Uh, thank yes. you for, for verbalizing. Definitely- thank you. I'm definitely in favor of the second option. Uh, I like the fact that we would do our uh, legislative seminar virtually so more people could participate. And uh, because uh, some others have said, affordability really does matter. Uh, We do want to help the organization and some of us made sure that we went to Omaha to assist the ACB in not having a larger bill to pay. Uh, So I want to do everything that I can to be there it sounds like fun, uh, as uh, Connie just said. I mean, I I have hearing loss, but just to be around a group of people having fun or just having good conversation, uh, will I think that would supersede my hearing focusing on my hearing loss. Uh, but I do have to consider everybody else. I spoke about this a few days ago during a meeting that I, I just I am concerned about the cost for those who may not be able to stay that many nights, but maybe they can come for two nights, uh, uh, be a part and be there for Sunday and Monday, possibly, you know, if they can't be there all the days. But uh, at this point, uh, I'm just leaning toward the second option uh, because it's beneficial in more ways than one. All right. Thank you, Kenneth. David. Uh, Do I have David? I want to say this, and, and by no means am I criticizing the states that can't send or the states that don't send. 
But there is another aspect of ACB that it scares the devil out of me that we're wanting to get away from. And that's the social in-person part. Yeah. We, we, we are providing services for our people who can't come. And we're kicking the people that can come in the butt. Uh, every time I hear it, it's, uh, we can't afford, we can't afford. Folks, we can't afford not to. If you do, you're going to lose some of this organization. If they don't have this social input that they look forward to every year. Now, I'm pre including everybody that can be including. But, you know, you just can't be everything for everybody. So what we need to do is look at two different aspects here. An in-person and a virtual. And if we want to do hybrids on stuff, that's fine. Unfortunately, you can't sit down at a social meal and it be hybrid. It's just not going to work. But when we're looking at these things, I urge you to continue to look at the people in this organization who want to be in person because they proved it to you in Omaha with everything going on. They were still almost 50 to 60% of the normal people that we had coming to a convention. So quit looking at this thing like in person is the death of the, because it can be the death of this organization. You lose 25 or 30% of your members and a lot of them are working members. You're in trouble. This is, this is Connie. And I, I like just to follow up with David and I agree with David. I mean, as I said, you know what? You have to choose. I mean, I'm not, I'm just giving the example of South Dakota that a lot of people can't afford doing both. And I think having the option of doing the Zoom and stuff, but I, I agree the, the in-person is so more effective, you know, and, and I remember us talking about that, you know, South and I got, you know, we got home and he's like, you know, it's just made a difference. So in-person is really important and it's, it's costly, but I agree with David that we have to make a choice. Um, you may not be able to do, you know, say convention and DC or the leadership, but I think maybe some people can do both, but I think you have to have that choice and you have to, as a member, you need to make that decision. But I, I really do encourage in-person and then having Zoom whenever we need to, but or hybrid, but definitely we have to have in-person stuff. All right. And, and so uh, just so option two, as, as people are talking about a little bit, it, it sounds like option two does give us both that virtual opportunity for everybody to participate and an in-person opportunity for people to participate. What I, Dan, this is Kim. Uh, yeah. When you're done. Uh, yeah. So I, I think what it doesn't do, which we found a lot of difficulty for last time, is trying to do both of them at the same time. And uh, we're going to, we, we, of course, continue to have a hybrid uh, convention, but, but this kind of, um, well, I don't know. We'll see where everybody keeps thinking, but that, that was the idea behind option two is you have a virtual opportunity for the president's meeting legislative seminar where everybody who, you know, with a, with a modest registration fee can, can participate. And then you have an in-person event, which includes a live rally. It's hard to do a rally virtually, you know, uh, so it would include a, a live rally and an opportunity for people to get together. Uh, go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm really happy that we're having this conversation because I think part of, part of our decision-making is also going to be the success of the option that we choose. No, and, and 
And I hope that that we choose option two because I think it's a it's a new dynamic. It's different and things are not as I think it was Ray said, you know, we wish maybe they'd be the way they used to be, but we can't afford to say we want things to be the way they used to be because they're not going to be anymore. So I think that we as a board have a responsibility to make a decision about an option and then to go to our affiliate presidents to share with them what that option is going to involve and give them some numbers they can use for budgeting for whoever they're going to try to send and give them some target numbers. We all know it's going to be expensive. About there, there, you know, there may be ways for affiliates to to talk among themselves and talk about how they might trim a little bit. Somebody said, "Come in on Saturday, um, cut off a night one way or the other." That could save a little money. That maybe they have a relative in the area that could stay with a friend. I don't know, but but I think that will help to prepare the affiliates to make a more informed decision about how they want to to participate in the rally and leadership development weekend that we're looking at planning for, you know, the future growth of the organization. And again, as Dan said, to have a rally, which has to be in person. So we need people to come because that, that also meets one of our requirements for 2023, which is to hold a a currency rally. So if we put all this together, I think we can prepare our affiliates to have good conversations among themselves, among their boards about what they would need to do to be a part of this event. Uh, Thank you, Kim. And uh, Rick Morin, our uh, uh, manager of of ACB Media, uh, had a couple of comments as a staff member. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'm just uh, just a couple of clarification questions. I I mean, we have a contract at, at that hotel for this coming year, right? That that Correct. we that yes. we can't back at back out of back out of. So we've got to do something with that contract, right? I mean, it costs us a lot of money to get out of it. So it would seem to me our you know vis a vis the Washington piece of this, or the uh, you know the the in person piece, the only options there would be to do something either totally in person or hybrid, right? Is is that fair? Yeah, so, that's why I've kind of the the two options are either we do the like the president's meeting and the legislative seminar hybrid, uh, you know, where you you you've got folks there that weekend as much as can come or, or are willing right. to come, uh, and then the second is the you know the the more leadership development and rally type of an approach, which would right. be the option two. But either way. It's identifying some nights that people would come to DC. Right. Yeah. The point I'm making is we don't have an option not to do the Washington piece, right? Um, so, so it, 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 you know, if you look at it that way, I think, you know, it, it maybe reframes the discussion just a little bit. Um, yeah. And our thoughts: How do we energize people, Mr. President? Uh, I didn't recognize the Jeff. Is that Jeff? Yeah. Yes, I'm willing to make a motion that we uh, adopt option two uh, with the second weekend only being in person. I'll second that. No. Okay, Jeff has made an option and uh, who seconded it? And Donna Brown seconded it. So we have a motion on the table with a second. And I believe I heard that Terry wanted to say something. 
I wanted to come up with a potential you, you, solution. You got a mic? You, you got a mic, Christian. I do, yes. I wanted to come up with a potential uh, compromise on this. And that would be because I do think that the leadership part is so important to our affiliates. Could we do them both, essentially do them both hybrid? Do the legislative seminar with Zoom and then do the legis the leadership portion of the trip to Washington um, available to our leaders, to our affiliate leaders via Zoom. Mr. President, I would not. And that would uh, still leave the that. rally for those who have come to Washington. I, I would not. That isn't for my motion. That's not a friendly amendment. I, I do not believe we'll get enough people coming if we uh, have this as a as a hybrid option. I don't think that's workable. I understand what you're trying to do. Um, I understand why people, unfortunately, I understand why people would want to do it that way. Of course, but I don't, uh, it, to me, it's not workable for what we're trying to achieve. You know, and, and I now think, I think I, what was the proposal that the, the, and again, what we're talking about that even would be, have the potential to be hybrid would be the morning workshops and the, the luncheon uh, presentation. And I think those could definitely be recorded and made available on yeah. podcast. Right. Yes. Dan, right. I, yeah. And, and then uh, Gabriel asked, and then I didn't know if Rick was done yet, but Gabriel, and then we'll go back. No, I, I, I was just going to make the point that, you know, a hybrid event is really two events, right? It's a virtual yeah. event and an in-person yeah. event. And, and I think we've got an opportunity here to do an in-person event and try to do something that, is uniquely in person and try to attract people to that uniquely in person thing. And this could be, you know, real precedent setting for stuff down the road. I, 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 I think that's a opportunity for us to, to try that out personally, but. Okay. And Gabe, you have a mic or do you need? Yes, I have a mic. Okay. So Jeff, would you consider a friendly amendment? We're going to uh, with option two, um, which I like uh, the only in-person weekend. But would you consider a friendly amendment that we uh, hold Zoom uh, or virtual legislative appointments after that weekend? Oh, uh, I, I think I, I don't even think that needs you can do your legislative appointments whenever you want. I think I, well, I have remember no that my my initial comments around that was that we do need some level of training, especially if we want to incorporate new people. And and I think it's very valuable to take advantage of that opportunity. And like Dan yes. and I have said, record podcasts, take that info back so that we can encourage and empower our members to participate in uh, virtual legislative meetings. Yeah, my thought on that, Gabriel, That's is very, we would not friendly, dictate that at all to the affiliates. They can do their uh, meetings with their representatives whenever it works best for them. Yeah, whatever they want to do is their their own affiliate schedule. And, and, and the materials would be available. Yes. And, and Gabe, I, I agree with you that the more training, there was actually training last year, but there wasn't enough of it and not always at the right times. So, and I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with you that the more we do, the better. Okay. Hey, Dan, this is Chris. Can I? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Go ahead. We haven't heard from you, Chris. Hello, Chris. No, I know. I've been quiet. Um, unlike me. Um, so one thing I think is that we shouldn't do the usual president's training that we usually do and talk about monthly monetary support and, uh, you know, sort of a lot of the administrative stuff. Um, I think that, that we can take advantage 
and do some um, more active training. We'd have to think about how to do that. Um, but I think if we want to get people there, um, we have to bite the money bullet. And I think that means that we might want to identify people at uh, different affiliates, it might include some committee chairs uh, and some presidents, and then figure out on an affiliate per affiliate basis um, how many people that uh, they think should come and how much money they can contribute to expenses as, as an affiliate supporting people and how much money ACB is willing to uh, commit as a as a stipend for expenses. Because I think if we don't deal with the cost issue, um, we're kidding ourselves. And, uh, you know, maybe we can't do that every year. And I know this is a, uh, this is a tough year, but if we really want to see whether we can get people to come and we don't deal with the cost issue, they're not coming um, or, or not enough of them. That's, that's, that's my feeling. All right. Mr. Thank Chair. you, Chris. Uh, yes, go ahead. Denise. Hi, Denise. Yes, I thought that was you. Go ahead, Denise. <laughs> I know it's hard to tell. Um, I was thinking about option two also, but what? Because, like, I know in Washington, you know, we could afford to maybe send two people to the president uh, leadership weekend president's training. Two people couldn't see ten reps and and two senators. That was impossible. So, for us, when we went virtual really worked out well because we were able to pull more of our members in and they got the experience of what it was like to talk to, you know, a legislator or an aide. And I'm thinking maybe what we could do is um, um, take that weekend and really cater it more to teaching um, members not so much leaders, but members who haven't done this before don't feel real confident. Some, you know, training in how to do this before they actually, you know, go and talk to their legislators. And, um, uh, you, you know, along with the you know training on the imperatives and stuff. And then the second weekend, you could really draw a whole different group of people it would be the people who you really want to be get trained as leaders. You know, we need to do leadership training within our affiliates, and a lot of the affiliates need assistance with that. And I could see us bringing in a whole different group of people for that piece who wouldn't necessarily be uh, involved in leadership, you know, as it, as it exists. Thank you, Denise, for those thoughts. Uh, we're at 435, so I'm going to maybe, uh, if, the, if, if, if we're Dan, not, was there somebody else that hadn't, Doug, did, are you? Yeah, I, I, I was going to, uh, Chris is going the, down the right track. I, I, I think after this, uh, after we uh, talk, after we pass this motion or not, I, I'm thinking of proposing a motion that the uh, uh, budget committee explore a stipend to any affiliate who needs it up to $1,000. Or specifically thousand dollars per affiliate. Yes. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's for, up for, to sixty-seven thousand dollars. Well, I, I was going to say up to, and I think a lot of the larger affiliates would well, would not do that. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so I mean, okay. that's that that's for uh, an exploration of that anyway. So um, okay, let, let me. Uh, okay, thank thank you, Doug. I, 
I think I'm going to go ahead if everybody's all right and call for the vote on the motion. And then, then I'll have some uh, comments back to you, Doug, on your thoughts. And so at this point in time, I'd like to go ahead and call the question. All those in favor of Jeff's motion to move forward with option two, signify by saying yes. 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 All opposed, signify by saying no. All right. Thank you so much. We will direct the staff and many of our member volunteers to help us get involved and plan this because this is uh we've just signed up for more work <laughs> yeah now, mr president now, i don't i don't i don't understand what we just agreed to are we talking about option two being a solely uh, uh option two person mean, event no option two was that we will do a virtual president's leadership seminar the week uh, end and maybe the Monday or so before uh, March 11th. I'm not sure of those exact dates, but the first weekend in March and then the next weekend, the March 11th through the 15th or whereabouts is where we would then do the in-person uh, leadership development uh, as well as the rally. So, but it's, the second weekend is only in person. Correct? Only in person. First is first is virtual. Second is only in person. Okay. March 3rd and 4th, Connie said. Yeah. What we didn't say is when is the board when does the board meeting fall? I, I think that's I, I think we can determine that later. Uh, okay. the other thing to address uh Doug's concern, I, I think uh you know Eric and I have had some conversations. There's nothing that's in writing at this point in time, but I think one of the things that could be considered, and we've been able to do this a couple of times in the past with some of our uh grant funders is to perhaps identify some scholarships that could maybe put in place for the personal event, right, Eric? Yeah, I'll let Eric speak to that. Yeah, we've, we have been successful in, in doing this for these events uh, two or three different times through, um, through JP Morgan. Um, and I'm not, you know, I can't, I can't tell you that that's going to happen this time with JP Morgan, but, um, you know, the, these are, uh, leadership capacity building um, events that are 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 likely attractive, whether it's to J.P. Morgan or other potential funders. Yes. All right. Right. This is Doug. I I agree yes. with you, and and I I don't think that addresses the issue of smaller affiliates who have to travel a, a you know a longer way. So that's why I was that's why I was hoping we would explore. You know, not just a, a leadership cadre of five people, but make it make more people um, uh, eligible for some kind of a stipend. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I mean, I want to just very much go, go ahead, Connie. As a small affiliate, and I know Don and I were just kind of talking. So it's okay if I use your name. Okay, so Don and I were just talking. As two small affiliate presidents, we are totally against what Doug is saying. Um, we, you know, as I said, we don't have a lot of money, but we both have said we have money aside. And I think it's up to the affiliate. And if JP Morgan or if ACB can get some scholarship or grants, that would be great. But it's, it, I don't feel that it should come out of the budget. And I, I would totally be against it. So I know that Don and I were just talking about that. So, and we are two very small affiliates and um, let's just go on. This is Deb. I'd like to be in the queue. 
Okay, but we're we're almost done with this because guys, we're not going to get out of here anywhere near five o'clock right well, now. Go ahead, Deb. So we, we we've approved yeah. the motion, but go ahead, Deb. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to to point out that the the one thing we might want to consider in all this expensing is I don't see any reason for for ACB to pay money to the hotel as a penalty, and if we were going to do something that may be buying down the cost of the room rate or something to get, I mean, that's what some affiliates have done to get people to their convention. And that has worked. That's what Oregon did last weekend. And it worked very well for them and, and benefited everyone. Um, and didn't, you know, didn't really kind of move on to the affiliates in any way, but I'd rather see us give it to the members than give it to the hotel. If we're going to be stuck in a penalty situation, or we think we are. Oh, boy, I, we're ready to move on. All right. Thank you yeah. all so much. Thank you for the excellent discussion. We've already accomplished item 19, which is on the agenda, which was the length of the convention. We did that earlier. Great job. So now we're moving on to 20, which is our committee reports, if, if necessary, from either our officer liaison or board liaison. So do we have any officers or board members that would like to report on their uh, committees? Dan, I do. Okay, so we'll have uh, Connie first and then David. So go ahead, Connie. Thank you. Um, and Jeff Bishop might be able to help me with this. So I'm representing as chair, co-chair of the awards committee. Um, and Janet is our um, liaison for it. She wasn't here. But so we were approached by, um, I'll say Jeff Bishop, and had a good idea. And we discussed it. But he came up with the idea, we came up with the idea of um, an award that would be for measurable um, contributions to ACB. And it could be an individual or it could be an entity. Um, and the committee really thinks this is a good idea. It's, But we don't have um, the, the recommendations or the data to be able to figure out what the uh, measurable contributions would be. So what we would like to see it would be is like a president award that the staff or the president, um, as you guys with leadership have the data or know someone or the entity, um, know what the measurable results would be. So that would be one of our recommendations that they asked me to bring back to the board. Jeff, would you want to Elaborate a little bit. Yeah, if I can get unmuted. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a low battery indicator on my on my phone. And it was anyway. Um, yeah. So basically, I, what what I proposed to them was, you know, a, a, an award that really looked at achievements that were made by either a person an affiliate, a, a committee, you know, that, that, that were on uh, the activity list or, or, or that were substantial rocks that might've been uh, achieved throughout the organization. And that they'd be looked at from, you know, an unbiased perspective uh, and, and just looking at the merit of, you know, major accomplishments throughout the year. So, yeah, I like, like a, you know, uh, excellence, uh, you know, pr presidential excellence award or something like that, that would be, you know, given out each year as, as part of the banquet. Uh, 
Yeah. And it wouldn't have to be next each year or, you know, but that's what we would, you know, we would recommend. We like the idea, but we decided that it would be probably not for us, be able to us to find the measurables or you guys would have a better idea. Dan, this is Kim. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Kim. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with what Connie is saying to us. Um, what I do think next steps needs to be is that rather than saying it to us, we need a written sort of, you know, what, how would you describe it? How would you define it? And, and not the criteria as much as like, who would potentially, what are the things that somebody could qualify to receive an award given, you know, from, from time to time or as, or as appropriate, not an annual kind of thing, but that flexibility I think is really good. Um, and and at least get the idea on paper a little bit so that the board has a little bit more to work with. Um, and, and, then, and then we can talk about it. I don't think this is, somebody's jaws is talking a lot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, Planning, environment. And then, then I think, you know, you've dropped the idea here. I think it's a valid, good idea. Um, but I think the committee needs to take it a little further and write up a proposal. So. I, I, I like that. And I, I, I agree with, I, I'm in, in favor the, of the, the concept. So if the awards committee could maybe flush that out and we could either, uh, the budget committees are very busy, but if we, if we did it at the end of January, does that still give you enough time to implement for this year? You know, and we, we um, so in January we would publish in the burial forum so we'd have to have if we want to do recognize it um, well, well well i will make room on one of the budget agendas uh to discuss this connie if you'd be willing to bring it yeah back I, I would do definitely do that and i'm i had no problem doing that we just as a committee and janet had said that we needed to bring it to you guys before we go any further so I, that was the only reason i did not write anything up we just wanted to bring it yeah. forward to see if you guys were even interested in it and um, go backwards. I, I think that's excellent. So if you could bring, we'll, we'll talk and bring something at, at one of the budget calls. Yep, yeah, I can do that. That'd be great. Okay. David, I think had the floor next. Okay. Uh, I've got a lot of committees and they're all doing great. And you know about them. You've heard about the auction, the walk and all that stuff. Uh, the one I wanted to talk to you about is history and archives. Our budget we've submitted, it'll stand for itself, but we're doing a lot of work and we're fixing to get to the next step. Uh, which is a lot of editing and that kind of thing. And so we're submitting that to the auction. But what dawned on Chris and myself, uh, as we discussed this late this week and as late as yesterday, is as we get out of the editing process or we move stuff from one person to the other, we, you know, we, we're going to be doing documents. We're going to be doing uh, a, a lot of audio and a lot of photographs. Um, the video we've done pretty well on our own. Dennis has done a lot of that and, and the staff and I would put that in place and it's in good shape, but what we need is committee accessible cloud storage. So that's something that I think Eric and team should look at and maybe bring to the budget committee. Like I said, the stuff we're asking for in our budget, uh, you know, I can argue at the budget, they can stand for themselves. I'm not going to, uh, type a lot of time today, but, but a real need in this organization is for committee accessible cloud storage and how to how to get in and how to fund it. Okay, we'll definitely put that in our IT portion of the budget. And David, while you have the microphone, 
uh, you know, you and I and uh, Connie and Donna and Nancy and others have been working on, you know, trying to to pull together our existing policies uh, and procedures from, say, the last 20 years. Now, um, a, a birdie whispered in my ear. In fact, he's sitting next to me uh, that. Sharon Lovering has an amazing amount of expertise in this area, and she likes it. She likes going and researching and finding those documents. So, with that—that's good because Sharon's with us. Yes. Uh, would, 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 would the committee be okay with her taking a more active role in 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 pulling together those? Uh, abso absolutely. If it wouldn't offend her, we'd kiss her. You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Eric. Eric, Eric wanted to make sure you guys were comfortable with that, but I, I think that's something you yeah. can. Everybody, everybody on our committee, including Sarah and uh, Terry's here today, uh, we're all enthusiastic about this thing. It's actually uh, archives we looked at as uh, as video. I mean, as pictures and written word, and then you've got the audio version that Chris Gray more or less heads up. And all of us work together, though, and, and we're all excited about it. And, and Sharon is a valuable part of this group. So, you know, if she wants to take on more, she's certainly welcome to. We, we, uh, we value Sharon's membership on the committee. And uh, what, what our goal is now, um, this is mostly uh, Connie, Donna. I'm sorry, Donna, I left you out. I, uh, Connie, Donna, Sharon, and I have... Uh, have taken on the process and I've not really held up my end of the load there, but we've, we've taken on the process of going through these minutes and pulling out policies that we need, you know, uh, people that are around Paul Edwards here today, myself, uh, all of us, it's been around for, you know, a hundred years. We can tell you the policies there, but you need to be able to see it. And, you know, when we look at something and say this is in the constitution and it's not there, generally it's somewhere in a policy. We just don't know where it's at. So, you know, Sharon could definitely speed this process up and it, it would be great, Eric. What we didn't want to do was pull too much on her time as a staff. Yep. And I'm willing to help her too. Cause I, I really, as David said, he's kind of slacked off, but I offered to help him because uh, I, I enjoy this part of it. So, <laughs> and I have more, to, um, I have more to do. So, <laughs> And something else that Sharon's and something else that Sharon's been very helpful with is um, nobody seemed to know that back in the around 2000, 2001, Sharon's sister Cindy worked in the national office and she was tasked with the job of putting together every motion that's ever been uh, made by the board of directors since its inception. and. It was done at the time. There are file folders full of it somewhere. Sharon is in the process of looking at that. In the meanwhile, she got a hold of Cindy's old handwritten notes. And we do have a good number of, um, we've got about 10 years worth of just the motions that were made in the kind of the, uh, pretty much the 90s. And that, but we're, but the, committee is really trying to get everything together um since acb's inception and, and, and i think great. we're doing a pretty good job of it and we are all working together on it 
Cool. Well, I will, um, I will uh, chat with Sharon about this next week. And she, um, you know, she's been doing a wonderful job of digitizing uh, back issues of the, of the Braille forum that go back uh, through, I believe back through 1990. And it looks like she digitized 83, 84, 85 this week. Uh, certain, certain issues. So she's trying to get her hands on as much as she can. And, um, you know, this is something, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but next year she'll celebrate 30 years with oh, the ACB. Wow. So there, there is a lot of history that she, that she's been a part of and that she, it, it also, a lot of this is sort of in her skill set. So I'm, I'm really happy that she's been working with you all on these projects, but I, I do think that, um, it, you know, we can we can work together and i can i can chat with her about this discussion she, today. she's also working with kim on yep. the digitizing process of the photo she sure is that's uh, been going on <laughs> for a while been doing that actually we started doing this during the old burl collie history committee correct and yes. uh, so you know it's an ongoing process and kim and, and sharon have put a lot of work a suitcase in case of photos that's right they're still in my office in, all right in the Beautiful. library because i uh but yep. they're, they've all been digitized. So that's there the good go. part. And Sharon, awesome. has, Sharon has the hard drive to prove it. So it's, um, and I think she's uploaded them all to this service that the photographs are stored on, which I can't remember its name for the life of me, but I'm just waiting for a day when, you know, I'm actually going somewhere and to DC with a suitcase in tow, that's full of photographs. So I can return them to Sharon. As long as it's they're not it's in a duffel bag, we're good to go. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right. I won't take more than a minute. Okay, then. Gabe. All right, there you go, Gabe. I won't. I won't take more than a minute. Um, the Hispanic Subcommittee, which is uh, one of our babies, it's a new committee. We have made a lot of progress. Like Dan said earlier, this has been a year of a lot of exploration and understanding where we are, where we want to get to, and obviously, we do want to do uh, much, much more content in Spanish. Uh, right now, what we do need is uh, working, <laughs> working folks to join the commit the subcommittee. So please, everyone, spread the word because um, we have, um, uh, you know, recently uh, we celebrated Hispanic Heritage Month with a few events. We appeared on Sunday Edition. We had a trivia. We had karaoke. Everyone enjoyed it. Everyone was very supportive. Um, Cindy and uh, you know community were instrumental in helping us move all this together. Um, we're thinking of re reactivating our um, twice a month meetings for Spanish speakers, and we're thinking of uh, second and fourth Thursday of the month. And stay tuned for that. But please, please spread the word. Uh, I know Hispanics were all over <laughs> the U.S., so please in your local chapters and um, your affiliates, please uh, let them know that we're looking for people to participate and to help us make this, uh, this, um, this subcommittee more robust. I felt, I felt, I felt huge to this afternoon because I cannot believe I'm only one person and I, and I, and I represent 7% of this board. So I felt kind of, <laughs> kind of big. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a few of those uh, percentages we could have put names next to. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and um uh it, it just uh, another addition uh, you know the the wonderful uh 
live uh, uh, session that happened with the James Webb telescope folks that is currently be trans being translated in Spanish and made available on YouTube. So very good. All right. Uh, before we uh, move off of uh, committees, I want to recognize a group of individuals. This is not an official committee. Maybe it should be. But I really want to give a shout out to Kenneth Simeon, to Cheryl Cummings, to Donna Brown and to Donna Browning, who really took a leadership role, uh, all very active leaders inside of ACB to really put together our first ever MAPS-P program, where we are piloting a mentoring program with 12 explorers and, and 12 guides, and really uh, the amount of energy that's gone into this, the excitement of getting to be a part of those uh, first two sessions where uh, the guides uh, and the explorers got to uh, have a, a really good, exciting dialogue and, and learning exercise. It's just been, uh, I just want to say thank you. It's something that this organization has needed for a long time. And you guys, one of our five key core values, you took the initiative and you followed through and you did it. And thank you. And hip, hip, hooray. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you, Donna. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that said, we are now done with the streaming portion of the board meeting. We have two more activities to do, which is uh, a vote where we've got to separate into two two pods here to elect our executive committee, uh, the three officers, the president and two others. So the officers will get together to elect two representatives from the officers group. And we're going to leave our board of directors uh, members uh, here on the Zoom call in the room where you guys can get together and elect your two members uh, from the board, 10 members of the board of directors. And then we'll get together after that and have a short executive session.